Welcome to the Quaredev Midcast with your host Adam Matwatch. Let's go to our meetup and start the ninth meetup. Um, today we have a really great guest. Uh, one of them I know personally, Arek, uh, who I met on the last conference, No Bullshit About Testing. Um, he's a great specialist and a developer. So today he will deliver a developer's perspective to pitfalls in uh, implementing Agile. And our second guest is the one who actually initiated the idea of today's um, topic. This is the great, uh, well-known Fran O'Hara, a well-known speaker in um, Agile and uh, testing community, I would say, because I don't know Fran personally yet. This is the first time we met, but I know him from the Eurostar conference, of, big, of which I'm a big fan. Uh, Fran has a great experience in IT, over 35 years of experience. Um, right now, he works mostly in consulting, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, but that's the main, main focus right now of um, Fran. And uh, right now, what is also um, interesting, Fran is a chairperson for the next Eurostar that is happening this year. So welcome, Fran, as well. Thank you guys mm -hmm. for, for, for joining me and finding some, some time. And let's jump to the topic of today and start with initial question, the opening question to you guys. Uh, and the question go, comes from the title of today's podcast, how implementation issues with Agile can hurt quality. Fran, can we start with you? Okay, well, thanks Thanks a lot for inviting me on to uh, your podcast. It's, it's the first time I've done one of these, so I'm, I'm excited to do it. Um, funny, the, the name, um, you know, Quare, Quare, where did that come from? It's just a matter of interest. Quare Midcast? Quare, so yeah. quare, quare, quare is from uh, Latin, and uh, quare means uh, why, right? It means what? It means why, because, uh, well, in quality or, um, uh, oh, quare is also Irish, as I can see. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> we, we call it queer, and it means okay. kind of strange, unusual. You know, that was, that was a, he was wearing uh -huh. some queer clothes, uh -huh. you know, strange, uh -huh. unusual. <laughs> No, 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 it can no, no, also, no. It can also mean remarkable, excellent. You know, he had a queer voice on him, mm -hmm. you know, a really good voice. So it's it's unusual. It's an Irish word as well. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I took quare from Latin and it means, uh, in Latin at least, why. Uh, I should check other languages as well. But, <laughs> but, but, like but I meant sure, why. Because it might be sometimes risky. <laughs> yes. But my false friends are bad thing. Yes. Uh, as for why, I was a big fan of uh, a book of, of and um, TED um, TED talk from um, Simon Sinek. Start with why, right? So that you should always start with why to understand why you're doing stuff. And since in quality in testing, I usually go with that principle. So if I'm supposed to test something, I usually start with asking question why I'm supposed to test that, what I want to prove. Is it for risk purposes? Is it for quality purposes? I always start with why. So that's where the idea came from. That, that, Very that good. Item. Very good. Thanks for that. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, thanks for the intro as well. Yeah, probably share your star. So I'm looking forward to that this year. Unfortunately, it's, it's virtual. You know, we can't get together uh, physically this year, but uh, I'm still hoping it'll be very good, you know. And it's now in September as well, the end of September. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. And we're currently putting the program together. So it's nice to have a bit of a distraction from that. Talk to you guys. 
So yeah, the title. Yeah, when we spoke about it first, uh, I think we were talking about it in the context of Scrum. You know, because I, I wrote a um, an article there uh, a few months ago for Tech Beacon, just on you know I think it was seven ways how poor Scrum can hurt quality. Um, but it was good to to broaden it out into kind of a more general discussion about how you know poor implementation of agile in general because it's a much broader. I think, in a sense, more interesting um, um, a topic to talk about because a lot more issues can come into it, you know. But I guess it's 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 kind of a, it is in itself very broad because you can talk about this at a kind of an organizational level, you know what I mean? Agile transformation and the ways all the stakeholders and you know um, in, infrastructure and organizational changes that have to be made and culture and you know. So there's that whole level we could touch on to, you know. And, and Eric, you were saying you, you've moved into a, a kind of an engineering manager type role as well. And I'm sure that those got a kind of broader perspective and, um, you know, the whole leadership aspect comes into it there, you know. But you could also talk about it at a team level, you know, and, and in a sense, that's what I spend quite a bit of my time with as well. And, and mainly because Scrum is so pervasive, you know, uh, what's the state of Agile say? Something like over 70%, you know, of organizations doing Agile are using Scrum or hybrids of Scrum. But as we say, it's it's just a, that's just a framework. You know, it's all about the mindset. You know, it's all about the empirical approach to to development. You know, but also we could talk about then about it from the point of view of a, of a specific developer perspective or tester perspective. You know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of leeway here <laughs> for for our conversation. You know, but uh, one of the things that struck me really was the you know uh, when you think about you know just talking about agile, if you just bring it back to the four values, you know. And just looking at those four values and ways in which the implementation of Agile can start to deviate from the core of Agile. And that starts to introduce trouble from the point of view of Agile and its benefits, and particularly, I think, from the point of view of quality. Like if you even take the first one, you know, uh, uh, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, for example, one of the four, you know, know, in terms of of, of quality, you know, uh, you can get into a discussion. I was at at a, a meetup. I joined a meetup yesterday evening and the whole conversation was about QA and the meaning of quality assurance, you know, and uh, there was, you know, everybody, everybody that attended that had a different perspective on it. And they went into teams, small teams, breakouts, everybody came back with a different answer. And it related to the question of quality and what quality is. And I attended a, um, a workshop from Janet Gregory uh, last year. We had her over to Ireland to our interest group. And uh, she started off with that exercise, everybody trying to find what quality means to them. And everybody that defined it had a different answer, you know. But I think if you think about it from the point of view, you know, um, what's it, uh, Jerry Weinberg and Michael Bolton and the guys, you know, that's, I think, a common definition I come across. You know, it's value to some person at some time who matters type of thing, you know. But obviously the customer matters. So when we're talking about affecting quality and impacting on quality, we need to think from the customer's perspective as, as, a, as a key stakeholder there, you know? And, and so it's kind of the ultimate measure of quality. But if we don't engage and collaborate with that customer, um, we're going to have problems from the point of view of quality as a result. And I see it a lot in, in organizations whereby, you know, all of the development is taking place internally, you know, and there's assumptions made about, you know, what the customer wants or, uh, and the validation is done internally rather than actually reaching out to that end end point and getting the real feedback that you want. Now, obviously, it depends on the maturity 
that the organization organization has from an, of an agile point of view and, and uh, to what extent they're getting that kind of business agility in place and the customer and the feedback and the value delivery, all that kind of thing. But I, I, I find that a, a problem in a lot of organizations is that, that that is one of the feedback loops that they're not um, inspecting and adapting rapidly enough. It's a very slow cycle, even though internally they're working and they have working software and increments that meet their definitions of done and so on. So, so that's a that's a and even internally, um, a figure that amazed me was the um, in the in the state of agile survey last year, um, that thirty six percent of the respondents didn't have a customer representative product owner uh, for their team, you know, and, and in terms of, of of being able to deliver quality to your key stakeholder, if you don't have that representation, that interaction. You know, it, it's 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 going to make it very difficult. It's going to hurt quality, basically, as a result. Um, and, you know, and, and that's just taking one one of the elements of the of the manifesto um, and thinking through in terms of what that means and how that impacts quality. You know, similarly, you could take a, talk about just the individuals and interactions. And to me, this is probably the heart of it in terms of implementation issues with agile. Um, Alistair Coburn, another guy we had over, one of the signatories of the manifesto, we had him over to Ireland there um, a couple of years ago. I help run the, the Agile Tour uh, conference every year there. It's a kind of a nonprofit um, uh, annual thing we do. And he gave a keynote on it. And, and his whole message was that the heart of Agile, you could distill it down to a single word. And that word was collaboration. And, and you know, again, back to the to the manifesto, individuals and interactions, the collaboration that needs to take place there, customer collaboration, and so on. Um, I think that's a that's a big kind of failure mode as well. Because if you, to me, agile, the benefit it brings is bringing the business together with the developers, together with the QA, the test, all working together. And, and you know, and, and Scrum does provide a kind of a, a framework to help that at least in terms of the product owner with the cross-functional team, developers and testers. Kind of working closely together but that obviously the behaviors you sometimes get um, are at odds with that kind of core value in terms of the behaviors of of developers and testers with each other and that lack of collaboration that can sometimes kind of take place um, you know in terms of not implementing agile from the point of view the intent and enhancing the collaboration to deliver therefore working software that's Going to meet the needs of, of, of your customers, you know, and as is of a sufficient kind of level of quality. So, so even simply reflecting back on, on the manifesto and thinking about how organizations then implement their approach to agile and, you know, how the culture will, you know, adopt or integrate those kind of values. To me, you know, it's, 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 it, you know, quality is, is kind of implicit in all of this. It's part of the whole, let's say, successful agile implementation. You're not going to be successful in the agile implementation uh, unless you're uh, uh, delivering sufficient quality for, you know, who matters at the right time and so on, like, like we kind of talked about. So to me, that's a, that's a, a kind of a, a fundamental or an overarching kind of thing with this, with this whole topic, you know, um, you know, it is coming back to those fundamental core values. And we could talk specifically then about, you know, at the organization level in terms of all the stakeholders, maybe not enabling. If you, if you implement Agile just as a technical thing and you don't bring on board, you know, the other stakeholders in the organization, obviously management and the support they need to give in terms of their leadership, um, in terms of, of the infrastructure um, in terms of the um, moving away from the plan-driven mentality 
you know, which can cause a problems in terms of the that org culture, you know, driving to dates with fixed scope, purchasing departments that deal with fixed price, fixed scope, um, HR that doesn't modify its its reward structures and recruitment approach and training approach. And all of these other stakeholders are, are also examples of you know, implementation issues in terms of, of agile. And that ultimately then can, can affect um, the quality. Um, but, you know, the, the great thing I think about agile is the ability to inspect and adapt. And therefore, if we see these kind of issues at an organizational level, at a team level, at a collaboration level between developers and testers and so on, we can incrementally start to, start to address them. Um, if our quality that we're delivering isn't good enough, we can incrementally start to improve it. So to me, one of, the, one of the single biggest problems I see is that that incremental continuous improvement uh, isn't working. And therefore, you're going to fail in terms of what you're trying to achieve, because everything is about the context. Like Scrum works, but does it work in our context? And so, you know, um, uh, there's, 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 yeah, we, we could talk for hours, you know, so let's, let's uh, I'll shut up for a minute and, and, and I'll let Eric have a word and then maybe we'll, we'll zone in on some of those. As I mentioned, I've got, you know, more tangible, I guess, points around, let's say, Scrum, um, you know, and some of the things I've seen um, in the implementation and poor implementation of Scrum that has direct impact on quality. I've touched into a couple of them there, like uh, no dedicated PO, collaboration issues, stuff like that. But and I'll we will get talking. back to that in a moment because I already made some notes. So, so I think it would be interesting to pinpoint the specifics that you you, you mentioned. And I'm also interested in um, how uh, what, what's our perspective on, on on that, right? From your experience, from the developer and later the trainer, the the the, the coach experience, Arik. Uh, how do well, you see the implementations issues and the quality? Well, uh, actually, <laughs> it was very nice to. Uh, to hear what you have to say, uh, Fran, and you actually put me in a very tough spot because every sentence you said, I could actually, you know, sign myself uh, under it uh, because it's simply, you know, straight straight to the point. Uh, the way that I see it, Agile is in a way broken on many, many levels. In many organizations, we could actually take probably any department, any team, and we would find something that is not working, and I've been uh, while preparing for this um, for this meeting, I was thinking like why, and you mentioned that heart of agile is collaboration, and I think this is the key element, key puzzle uh, that is actually missing here. Many organizations I see are lacking this true collaboration, collab true collaboration, hard word to pronounce. Anyways, they're lacking this true collaboration. Uh, between some uh, departments, some parts of company, because I have most of my uh, background is actually development, I see it very strongly at the, uh, in, in a developer's work. Uh, many of my friends or colleagues or uh, friends from conferences say that uh, actually agile, meaning Scrum, uh, is actually useless because it's acronym for lots of useless meetings. So all this Scrum, all this Agile thing is you know, uh, put to simply lots of meetings that does not bring value and are simply a waste of time. Instead of coding, instead of producing value, instead of producing product, we're simply wasting it. So uh, yeah, and 
And I believe that on a way of introducing Scrum, some uh, knowledge has been lost. A uh, friend of mine, Andy, which I think is in here, like to say that uh, right now, Agile is something that is done to developers and not uh, a way to uh, a way to, um, to work, a way to um, well, it's not a mindset. It's simply some technique that is done to developers. And I, I think follow uh, question here, Arek. Yeah. Can I have follow up question to what what you said? Because you mentioned the the meeting part, and I I fully agree that sometimes you can have this feeling that. Uh, it, Agile is over, overloading you with the meetings that are useless. But that, in my, at least from my perspective, from my experience, means that actually this is the this is the wrong implementation of Agile because the meetings okay. sh should should be that's the the whole core of collaboration, right? To, to maybe not just having the meetings, but having the meetings for the purpose of, as a tool for collaboration, right? So the, the meetings yeah, are the exactly. tool for collaboration. Yeah? But if if uh, the key value of, of meeting is lost and it's it is reduced just to you know just a meeting just uh, to a meeting we sit here we do some uh, colorful notes and we have our time box and the time box is gone okay see you guys we we'll, we we'll see you next week right then it is pointless it's simply pointless so uh, yeah if we do it this way we're hurting uh, quality. We're hurting uh, actually everything because uh, doing such things with developers reduce their commitment, and they simply don't want to do the extra mile to uh, ensure that we that we build in the quality into the product. So, uh, yeah. and I think somewhere on the way uh, we've lost the real heart of this agile thing. Um, Fran, you mentioned agile manifesto, so I think we should. Um, remind that most of the people who wrote Agile Manifesto were very deep in software development. The original uh, people who wrote it were creating software and they, they had huge knowledge on it. So uh, yeah, we've lost it on the way. People do not remember that it is the heart of it, so the development and the heart of it is collaboration and yeah. okay and you'd expand out that collaboration as well in terms of it isn't just a you know a bunch of technical people developing software it's all the collaboration you know and one of the most important ones is, is with the, the business side so mm -hmm. it aligns the techies with the the business objectives you know that that's like i think a huge benefit you know of collaboration in a slightly broader sense rather than seeing it as, as totally development centric you know? yeah and actually uh right now i've got a feeling that many organizations made a switch to having agile around developers and then you've got developers in some sort of bubble that are doing some you know crazy magic things doing their button stuff writing uh, well doing their button things and writing some you know mumbo jumbo code right because no one understands it so you know there are two worlds right we've got developers we've got business whereas exactly as you said we should collaborate on both sides 
Yeah, that's Levels. true, and I, I think I think it's it's a very, a very important thing you said, Arek, worth, worth underlining here. That uh, and one of the things that I heard uh, when I was participating in one of the agile transformations, um, the problem there was that even though the IT parts of the developers wanted to work in Scrum using the, the agile principles, having this inspect and up cycle and so on, everything there were more or less uh, fine. But the problem was that the requirements, every every um, every need for any feature come from the business. The business was working in a waterfall way. They had their year plans, two-year plans, 10-year plans, right? Uh, when, when they have... Um, front loaded work, right? And at the end, the work ended at the desk of developers saying, so, okay, guys, it's great that you're agile. It's great that you have empowerment, but, but here are the features that you have to develop and just put push the buttons on your keyboards, right? And, and develop software, right? And I no, think I, that- uh, Sorry, Adam, but funny that you said that because I've also um, had a so-called pleasure to work in such an environment where business had the idea of a product. And there was a list of features. And, and there was a question, how many days do you need to develop this uh, product? Let's say three years. Okay, three years. So, so from now, plus three years, there's, there's the release. And we'll have all those uh, features. And it will be working. And it will be great. And we start shipping it to the customers. Okay, that's typical, you know, Kind of waterfall thinking that came actually from from business and because we wanted to work the agile way we wanted to work in iterations uh well i actually heard okay so if you wanted to work this way sure no problem work in that scrum uh i can you know come every two weeks and to see uh, how things going but uh anyways the deadline is fixed the scope is fixed yeah and that's the problem how it hurts quality. Before we jump to you, Frank, all I think everybody knows the triangle, you know, the, the time, resources, and, 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 um, and the scope, right? Uh, and uh, every manager knows the triangle. Every developer today knows the triangle, right? But at the end of the day, you finish out in the project, in an agile project, let's say, where you have fixed scope. So this is everything you have to deliver it. You have to deliver it by the date, so the time, the scope. And these are the five developers that we develop. So resources, right? And everything is fixed. You will not change the setup. And what is hurt then? The quality, right? Because the quality is in the middle of that circle and often it's, it's forgot, right? That if you want to develop in, in the fixed time, fixed scope with fixed developers, then you will not solve all the bugs, for example, on the way. You will lose the quality. At least that's my perception. Frank, what do you be, think? Yeah? So something has to be, it has to be some variable. Everything can't be fixed. And really, as you say, there's, there's four parameters, not three. And the fourth one is quality. And it, it has traditionally been the thing that gets sacrificed, you know, that the project manager was a hero if they delivered all the scope on time in budget. That was a hugely successful project, except that, you know, most likely the quality that was what was delivered was very poor. And the overall maintenance costs and total cost of ownership of that software was huge. And yet the project manager went off as a, as a, as a hero. And, um, and a lot of that as well was because testing was at the end of the life cycle, et cetera. It got squeezed, all that kind of bad stuff. But, you know, I often find that Agile doesn't necessarily give you better quality. Um, but the great thing about it is that you have the ability to inspect and adapt it. 
And so, you know, after you've got an increment of code that's working, you're able to then get feedback on it from your tests, but also from your product owners, from your customers potentially, and therefore adjust if the quality isn't good enough. And therefore you're able to resolve the problem that you mentioned about your triangle with quality being um, quality being uh, the last, the poor cousin, the poor relation, so to speak, of the other three parameters. But it does come, as you say, Eric, from that bigger picture view, that top-down management, product management roadmap, um, you know, annual uh, budgeting cycles. It comes from that top-down pressure to plan out the future. And it also comes, I see it often in SAFE, you know, the Scale Agile framework, where it's meant to be that each program increment for a number of sprints outlines kind of the objectives. It talks about the business outcomes you want to achieve and so on. But invariably, I see it being, it often ends up being as a poor implementation, being a list of features to, to be delivered in a, in a fixed time scale. Exactly. You know, and you're back to a plan-driven type of approach. So there's a risk of that. Now, it doesn't have to be that way with SAFE, but I sometimes see that. And, and it's just a, another manifestation of, you know, um, uh, not aligning with the, the basic principles of the, the values in the manifesto, like uh, responding to change over following a plan. And it has huge impacts on quality. Yeah, but, you know, if we're wise enough, if we're good enough, and we plan well enough, then, you know, we just need good people to execute it, right? <laughs> And uh, I think that that triangle thing is actually mm, uh, repeated that many times and implemented in uh, so many companies because, uh, well, quality can be negotiable. In a mini, in a negotiable in a meaning that if you would make a poll right now or uh, ask people to write down here on chat, like, what does the quality mean to you? we would have a couple of different definitions. And the quality itself is so vague and it can mean so many different things for everyone that if we do not define it on the beginning of the project, we can you know, negotiate it. If it's in the scope of quality or not, is it you know, good enough or it's rubbish? <coughs> so maybe, maybe fixed time, scope and resources is not a bad way. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I think it all comes down to what good enough is in your context. Right. And therefore, as you say, that discussion needs to take place. And, and you know, um, one, of the, one of the things that I've seen work really well, but also really, really poorly, is the definition of done in Scrum. And the definition of done encapsulates some of that agreement, if you know what I mean, or it's intended to. So, you know, what does done mean for us? What's good enough for us? You yeah. know? But, you know, often I see it's either not used, um, it's, it's weak or it's not followed under pressure. Um, so even though there might be at least some intent, um, it still gets sidelined side under the pressure of, 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 of delivery times, timescales, and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it comes down to that. That comes from the top. That comes from higher level, you know, ultimately resulting in a push system. Um, you know, like Kanban is a pull system. It, it, you know, explicitly limits your work in progress. And Scrum is intended to implicitly limit it by having these time boxes where it leaves it up to the development team to make the decision about how much scope they feel they can pull into a, a sprint. But the, the trouble is, as, as you mentioned, when you have that top-down kind of, we need to have all this scope done by a certain date, then you end up with the push. You end up with teams being forced to take more than they 
they, they, they really have the capacity to deliver and yet deliver on what good enough quality is at the same time with it. Yeah. And can you mention the definition of done? Because uh, as, as I'm starting this uh, role of mine, I actually I've asked teams about the definition of done. Like, uh, do you have a definition of done? Where is it? Where can I you know, find it? And from three out of four teams, I got a message, uh, I got an information that, yes, we do have definition of done, uh, but I don't know where is it. Uh, it's like, it's definition of done done, meaning that when Scrum was introduced, they've created definition of done and it is done. And okay, we don't have to bother about it anymore. Right? Tick, We're good. Tick the box. Tick, exactly. Like, how to implement Scrum? Okay, there are 20 steps. Tick one definition of done done. And I would like to challenge you guys about the definition of done. It's good that you you mentioned it because I have have it written before the meeting. Just, just prepared myself. I would say that at least from my perspective, the definition of done was always a bit controversial because from from one perspective, of course, in, in, in Scrum, you it's one of the things that you have to to have. But from the from my at least experience, it was usually one of the things that is done either in a wrong way or uh, in a way that is actually useless. It's just somewhere on the confluence and nobody is checking it uh, anymore, right? Exactly. And, uh, and, and the problem I have with definition of done is that if you go into the direction of having definition of done that is very broad, right, uh, that will include all of type of stories and tasks that we will have in the sprint, then usually it's useless because it's so broad that it's obvious that the, 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 the things that you're doing, it's like washing your hands. You just should do it, right? It's, it's just the pure hygiene. But on the other hand, if you want to make it useful, usually it means that you have to make it very specific, right? So, so these tests have to be done, this, uh, this action has to be done and so on. But in this kind of definition of done, uh, it's really hard to make one because you might have different tasks in your backlog, right? You might have tasks for... Um, very specific things uh, for for maintenance, for tech depths, for fixing defects, for example. In, for example, if you make that part of your definition of done is making a unit test, uh, that might be part of definition of done. But at the same time, does really every task in your sprint uh, have to have a unit test? Not necessarily. At least that's what I've got from my from from my team, right? So. I always struggle to find a definition of done that would be appreciated by the team, that would be broad enough and good enough to, 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 to be used for different, different tasks. Um, and what are your thoughts on that, right? How to deal with that? The, the, the one of the solutions I've got was, so let's create a definition of done for each type of task. And we ended up with five or six definition of done, which at the end, nobody remembered, right? Uh, we can start with uh, with Yufran this time, maybe. Yeah, I, 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 what I've seen, I, I, I totally agree with you that the definition of done, in many cases, the implementation of it, uh, it, it's not working. It's not achieving what its objective was intended to be. You know, and and that's a problem. But you know, I, I think if you end up with five different definitions of done for just an item in your product backlog, it's probably gone overboard. You know, so so in my experience, what, what works best is is if you if you have a definition of done for your main um, generic items, like a definition of done for a story, um, then a definition of done for the increment, and if you if you release after multiple sprints, then a definition of done for the release. You know, depending on you know how frequently you release. Um, but the um, 
So, you know, when you talk about <clears throat> the core of what you're working on, developing features and stories or whatever, you can describe a definition of done that applies to, to that. But any other item that you, you have in your product backlog, whether it's maintenance work or infrastructure work and so on, you know, you can, you can define the acceptance criteria, you know, for those in the actual items themselves. And, you know, I maybe worry a little less about creating a generic one that goes across all those ETOs items, you know, and studying each of those work items and saying, okay, that's a particular category. Let's define its own definition of done. You know, to me, it's 80-20 rule. You know, it's, you'll get, you'll get, you know, 80% of the benefit and 20% of the effort type of thing. So, you know, you focus, to me, it just makes sense to focus on, on the core stuff. And, and then use common sense as a team and through the collaboration, talking together, you know what I mean, et cetera, um, deal with all of the, you know, the, the non-core type of items rather than trying to, you know, over overdo it from the point of view. Definitely. That, that'd be my thinking anyway, from the point of view of what I see. And I totally agree with you that it needs to be specific, you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to all tests pass, you know, what the hell does that mean, you know? Uh, thank you for that, Fran. Uh, Arek, and what's your take on that from, from your perspective? So, uh, actually, I think the definition of done uh, should reflect the maturity of the team, uh, meaning that uh, as the team grows, their maturity changes, and they can you know, uh, increase, decrease, change their definition of done. If we've got a team full of juniors, and we put... A requirement that are that there are that that oh Jesus that we require unit tests and let's say 50 unit tests, then maybe it's a good definition of done for that team. But the team full of seniors uh, will probably put that we need this code to be tested thorough, right? And we need to have a set of mutation tests, and that would be good enough. For them, so in my opinion, it's simply a reflection of the maturity of the team. And the other thing, uh, I'm seeing definition of done as sort of compromise, compromise between what team wants to create, because developers, from technological standpoint of view, like uh, playing with different kind of stuff. So you know, using spec flows, using gertings, uh, using uh, performance tests and mutation tests. All that is fun, right? But the question is, can we deliver it? Can we deliver um, product? Can we deliver increment? And also a set of different kind of tests and probably documentation and, and so on and so forth. So definition of done is a compromise between what development team uh, wants to deliver, what business wants to deliver, and what developers actually can deliver. As I uh, start from from those uh, junior teams, if we throw a requirement for mutation test for a, um, for a team of juniors, they won't even know what the hell is mutation test, right? And they will they will be stuck on it and they will not produce anything. On the other hand, if we have those uh, seniors, we can throw a mutation test and you know, it will be brief for them. So two levels on this, the maturity and the compromise between what we want and what we can. Thank you, Arik, and I see- Very common term. Can I say something yeah, on that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Because, 
I think there's a couple of point, points that strike me about it. I totally agree with you that, you know, different teams, different maturity, different, different definitions are done. Like to, to me, to me, the definition done reflects what you can actually do, the as is. And, and then as you mature, you can focus on strengthening your definition of done. Exactly. Because a weak definition of done, even if, you know, you follow it, it's the best you can do right now. So that, that's what it should reflect. Um, but your aspiration is, is to mature, get better, higher performance, better practices, and so on. But so for now, we're probably going to be injecting too much, a lot of technical debt. And, and, and to me, definition of done is, is probably the strongest tool to help manage technical debt. Right now, we're injecting lots of debt because we don't have mature practices. Uh, over time, you know, if we keep doing that, the debt will mount and it'll, it'll yeah. start to cripple us. So what we need to do is to stop the bleeding. And therefore, we need to mature in our definition of done. We need to experiment with better ways and improve it, strengthen it as our team matures um, so that, that, that we end up with a, you know, a more manageable injection of technical debt and then decide if we need to retrospectively kind of reduce it. But the other dimension, I think, to what you were talking about there was, you know, um, I think across teams, you know, some organizations try and standardize the definition of done across teams. And it, it can it can make sense when they're all working on one product. There's no point in one part of the product being developed with these good practices and you know, uh, uh, whereas another part is, is real flaky. So there's an importance for consistency there, but I think you have to be really careful with that because as you say, different teams will potentially be at different levels of maturity. And if you define some generic one that everybody has to follow, it'll end up just being a box that's ticked. You know, oh, you have to achieve 80% decision coverage in your unit testing. What's going to happen? The developers are just going to invoke code you know, to fool the coverage measurement tool into thinking that they've got high coverage because they don't buy into it. It doesn't reflect, you know what I mean, their, their, their current way of working and maturity. So you've got to be really careful with the standardization across teams, I think, with the definition of done. Yeah, but uh, Adam, let me dig on it a little bit because uh, interesting thing you mentioned, like the, that coverage thing, right? If the uh, code coverage comes from development team, they will be, uh, they will create good tests. If it comes from the management who has absolutely no idea about uh, creating software and they read it in, you know, some fancy management magazine that, you know, you need 89.6% of code coverage, then developers will find a way to simply generate code coverage and then it's useless. And the other part of this, um, this thought is, you mentioned also mm, technical debt. Like, as a developer, I can create the best software that is polished. It it simply glows in the dark. It isn't. It's not reflecting. It's simply glow. It simply glows. But if the business has trouble to uh, to find money to find customers for the product, then it is pointless, right? Uh, then we can, you know, lower the quality. We, we can create technical debt just to create and ship anything and start uh, start validating if business actually works. But then if the business works, then we can start in, uh, lower the uh, technical debt, right? But for this, we have to, well, sort of communicate, right? Communicate with business and actually com uh, use uh, what we started with, the communication, the heart of the Thing, right? Thank you, guys. I think we can switch right now to other topic. I would like to just make one comment because I, I lo loved the idea with the code coverage. Um, and I would, give, would like to give you an example from a company which name I will not mention here. 
uh, where one of the uh, KPIs for the team uh, at the end of the year to have their, their, their the additional bonuses uh, paid was to have the code or coverage of the of the code uh, on some level, right? So so that then and. Uh, what was one of the ideas of developers for doing that? Of course, we didn't go in that direction as a disclaimer, but, but one of the idea was to create some uh, number of uh, lines of dummy code and then put a code <laughs> coverage on that dummy code because then code coverage percentage will go higher, right? And then we pass the OKR for, 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 that, uh, for that organization. That's why also I don't want to put the name of that organization. At the end, uh, we didn't go in that direction, but it's a great example of painting the grass green, right? Which yeah. uh, sometimes the definition of done uh, makes. And uh, a really great comment was from, from, from you here, uh, Arek, that if the definition of done comes from the developers, if ideas like that come from the developers, they will give the good numbers for the code coverage, for example, and yeah. for stuff like that. But if these ideas come from management, that of course will end up in a wrong way. Hmm. And what additional bridge between uh, what France said previously and 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 you are uh, are later yeah, and for which is worth underlining here I would say is the definition of done and that it can change that's that's the thing that I think we very often forget about right you should yeah, inspect and adapt not only internally but also the definition of done it's not like set in stone and we this is the stone table definition of done and you have to follow for the future yeah, Every, the, the che second checkbox on uh, how to implement yes. Scrum, right? We've yes. got the vision of done, we've got that. Uh, yeah. that's, that's the missing part, which which uh, which Fran said, that the inspecting and adapting, right? Even if you do something wrong today, then thanks to inspect and adapt, you can do it better tomorrow, right? And have better quality, you can improve. So even if you suck at the beginning of, of implementing Scrum, if you... Do follow at least this one principle, inspecting and adapting, you will end up in a better place at some point, longer, sh shorter exactly. or better, without agile coaches, without anybody, just by inspecting and adapting, you will improve. Thank you for that, guys. I would like to go to one of the questions from the public uh, that we have today, uh, which I think is really interesting, especially that I have also follow up to that question, but I will right now leave it to that person. The question is, I hear planning long-term is not recommended in Agile environment. Then how far away do you recommend to planning should be from the product point of view? And we can start with you, Arak, this time. Uh, well, I think it's also uh, one of these misunderstandings. Because when you're planning long-term, you got to plan on different level than you're planning short-term, right? And the best example is uh, going on our holidays. Today, when I plan my holidays, I got to know the destination and the date roughly. Within two or three months, we can you know, define the date when we want to go on the holidays. But right now, I can roughly say that somewhere in the summer, uh, because of school, so we've got a window of two months, that that will be fine. And I want to go somewhere where it's night, where, where it's warm, and there is a sea, right? And because of COVID thing, we probably got to drive there by car. That's planning on this level, right? Three days before leaving, I need a GPS. I need to fill, uh, fill my tank. I need to pack my uh, stuff. 
I got to prepare and I got to plan. Okay, we're going this road and we'll tank here, here and there, and we'll take a nap over there, right? But I'm not planning on which road I will turn left or right. I'm not planning when I will change the lane on the highway because still it's not the time for it. As I'm driving, I'm planning, okay, there's a car approaching. I got to move my car to the right lane or left lane, depending on the country I come from, right? But I'm planning the smallest details. But still, there is a, this bigger goal that was planned long, uh, long term. And I believe it, it simply works the same in, uh, in agile planning, right? When I'm planning my, my sprint, my next week, that I, I got to go on every detail or most of the details. When I'm planning a product, when we want to be within five years, then I'm setting some milestones. And it doesn't mean that I'm committed to those milestones because on the way they may change, but it does not mean that we do not plan agile. A great answer, Arek, but I, I would like to challenge you a bit. Sure. So, because I, I love the, the metaphor that in a long term, I just, for example, would like to say that this year I would like to go to a seaside. I'm not specifying yet where, but, but because it's long term, but just before I need to know the, 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 the directions. But in uh, software development, and let's follow up with the, with the travel metaphor. Um, there are some details that you have to know up front. For example, uh, what kind of car are we drive? Will it be electric car or gasoline car? Because if it will be electric car, I need to like plan a, a different path because I need the chargers on the way. If it be a gasoline car, then maybe in some cities they don't accept diesel engines, so I will not be able to sure. go there, right? And in software development, for example, even though you're planning long term, sometimes you need some specifics because they will make a difference, right? They will make a difference in sure. cost, for example, right? What kind of framework do we do, will we use? Will it be a Xamarin or native one, right? Mm -hmm. So you need these 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 details up front, and that's already including developers and other staff to estimate, to give you some kinds of guidance, to do some research, to do some POCs how to deal with that, right? You, you, you need this information very often as an input for that long-term planning event. Yeah. Uh, so funny you mentioned those frameworks because being software developer by heart, a uh, couple of years ago, I thought it is very important to choose the correct framework. And actually, uh, as I grow, I think it's not that important. It is important. But there are more pressing issues on the way. If we're uh, staying with this uh, traveling metaphor, do I really need that information uh, about kind of car uh, when I'm planning my next year trip? Probably not. If I'm planning a trip for next year, there might be more cities day that do, does not allow diesel cars uh, to enter. There may be new charging points on the way, we have no knowledge about this. However, if I'm planning to go to, um, let's say South Africa, I know that it is probably not the best idea to go there by car. Probably it's gonna be a plane, right? So the longer uh, 
the, the, the horizon of planning, the more general um, assumptions you're going to take, right? I'm not thinking about kind of the car. I'm thinking what kind of transportation. Is it a car? Is it a boat? Is it a, an airplane, right? And still, planning, uh, the, long, the longer horizon of planning we have, the more things can you know, change on the way. Like uh, two years ago, we didn't plan to work from home and you know, leaving home maybe once in a week, right? No one could anticipate it. Right now, if we plan uh, our holidays, we take this into account. So, uh, and being software developer myself, yes, there are many things that uh, changes on the way. But as I'm driving uh, to my holiday destination, there are also many things that can change on the way. Like the, there is an accident, right? There is a huge traffic jam. Uh, car can break down. Wheel can fall off, right? Or you can get a diarrhea halfway because you ate something on the on a, on a uh, you know some dodgy place and you simply got a direct diarrhea and you cannot travel anymore. Done. You gotta wait two three days, right? Hopefully. Okay. Thank you for that, Arik. I I I fully understand and accept that answer. Fran, what's your take on that? Yeah, just a couple of points. One, when you were making talking about the analogy, it, it actually reminded me of if you were. You know, if you've got a product you want to develop and, and let's say the product is, is you know, getting to your location, your holiday destination, you know, if you take that inspect and adapt from the point of view of validating with your customers who are ever going to use your product, you know, I, I always think of that MVP uh, picture um, showing you how to, how to do it incrementally instead of, you know, building your wheel and then building your engine and so on. The first thing to do is try a bike. You know, go on your holidays with a bike, learn from that, then, you know, go on a motorbike, then go on a whatever, you know, so you actually build it up and, and validate and get feedback, you know, from that point of view. It just reminded me of that when you were thinking about <clears throat> when you were giving your your uh, metaphor there. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, the other thing, I totally agree with you, you know, I think the long-term planning, you got to kind of dissect the word plan, you know, <clears throat> in that you know, the, the traditional thinking about a plan is that it gets something that gets locked and you follow the plan. And that's the whole problem. You know, you, there's tons of planning in Agile. It's just lightweight and adaptive, you know. And, you know, and sometimes maybe we should use the word forecast as well rather than plan to get us away from that mindset, you know. And, you know, with an empirical approach, it means you're learning by doing and you're using your past experience and performance as the best indicator of of what's going to, you're going to be able to do in the future. So you're combining that kind of empirical estimating with this kind of longer term planning slash forecasting in the direction you think you want to go, but knowing that your destination is going to end up in somewhere else. You're going to end up in a different destination for your holiday because that's where the value is. You know, so it's all these mixed metaphors there, but <laughs> it's it's definitely along the lines you're talking. I agree totally. Uh, but uh, one thing I want to add uh, to what you said because you. You mentioned MVP and talking about travels. Like, I think each and every one of us remember how we start to traveling. And when we are small kids, we do not travel across the globe, right? When we are infants, our parents take us uh, in a buggy like two, three streets away, right? And then they take us uh, somewhere further and further and further. And then we reach some level of freedom when we start our own trips. 
and they're still not the biggest trip in the world, right? Being 15 year old, I'm not planning uh, a trip around the world because you know it's over overwhelming. But I can plan a trip with friends to well another country, right? Like living in European Union, feasible, right? So um, yeah, but. Uh, But, but but I wonder, and one of the things that you said, uh, Fran, about the, well, first start with a bicycle and see how it goes, and then maybe go with a car and something like that. That's cool, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's cool when you think about short distances. So it's like saying small projects, which are developed by one team. And what about big organizations? And right now I'm getting to more, more, more details because I'm living in a quite big organization. We work on a... Uh, hardware, software, uh, mobile setup where we have applications that are talking with each other with some hardware instruments that you put in your ears and stuff like that. And planning there is really important. You could not ride a bike so because so 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 have like a small project because even the small project will will include many teams and many de many dependencies, right? So. Uh, How my understanding of Agile changed uh, in working in that organization was that actually only to some degree you can have freedom, only to some degree you can have small steps, because in some kind of setups like our, ours, and it's even additionally additional difficulty, a medical software devices, because hearing instruments you put in your ears, right? So it's even more, more difficult to re release stuff like that to market. You have to have uh, long-term plans, and, and and because you have many de internal dependencies, right? So, um, what do you think, Fran? Because my take was was from at least my experience right now that um, it's not that you should take the agile principles and all the examples um, exactly as people say about them. So, for example, if you hear how they develop software in Amazon, they have several commits every day to production, right? It's not something that you can implement in my organization. In my organization, I would say that if you have four releases in a year, that's 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 a lot, and just because of the of the setup. Do you agree, or do you think that in every setup you always can have several releases every day? God, no, you, you have to definitely not. <laughs> you have to look at your you have to look at your context, you know, and um, you know. <laughs> I, I remember um, working for for an organization, and it was um, <clears throat> they developed software, but they also developed silicon. And so, you know, you had these two totally different kind of timelines, you know, and two totally effectively different ways of work, and one much more longer term milestones. So, so to me, it's more about the, the principles, you know, and it's about like if you try and apply the principle of of rapid feedback and um, inspect and adapt and so on, you, you try and find ways. Um, uh, you know, to, to validate what you're doing and, and to learn as you go. So you, at one end of the scale, you could just plan to deliver all your software when all the hardware comes at the end, and then you do one big bang integration, okay? But that's that's waterfall, you know what I mean? And you put a big plan together from that. But you're not able to do the, you know, uh, daily, weekly, monthly, you know, that, that isn't going to work for you. So you've got to try and come up with something that's as close as possible to move towards it away from plan-driven. And, 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 you know, what I've seen there is, for example, just the use of, of 
You start off maybe building simulators so that you can test your software with the simulator. You develop prototypes so you can test your software with the prototypes. You learn from that as you go along. You know, you start off with a small feature set and then expand it. You know, so it's all about trying to look at your context and go, okay, well, what was Agile trying to achieve? Early and frequent releases for whatever purpose. So can we apply those principles in the context that we're in, you know? Um, so, so to me, that'd be the way I'd look at it, you know, and, and obviously there's going to be constraints and dependencies that will just stop you from doing things the way you'd ideally like to do it. And you just have to manage those constraints, you know, in, in the situation you're in. But it touches also onto another area that I do find very difficult, which is, you know, the, 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 the development argument about, well, we need to develop the architecture, you know, to allow us to, to develop uh, uh, software you know, with this well-defined architecture. And, and there's nothing in Agile that says don't do architecture, you know what I mean? But again, I think it's it's about the balance. It's about at one end of the scale, the traditional approach and the way architects think and so on is that I want to flesh this out so it's perfect and, and, and I'm engineering for all eventualities, okay? And at the other end of the scale, well, let's just start something and see how it goes. And you end up potentially with massive rework on your hands because everything you build has to be taken away because you built it on a, with poor assumptions on how these things could work. So to me, it's all about balance. It's common sense. Trying to trying to think think about those principles to try and develop working software as early as possible, but at the same time, not shooting yourself in the foot by not thinking about important uh, elements of your of your development and engineering at the same time. Thank you for that, Fran. I, I hear here at least two key takeaways. One is the context. That's true when we very often forget about the context, that you are not able to take one solution from one company and put it in a different solution in a different context, which very often happens about the Spotify model. Every organization, after Spotify announced it, every organization <coughs> wanted to be as a Spotify and wanted to copy it exactly the same in our organization. So that's a one, one key takeaway. And second is about being a fanatic, right? So, so, so being fanatic is a wrong always, also in this context, right? Being fanatic about Scrum and saying that uh, this is the holy book uh, called Scrum Guide and let's follow it exactly to the letter, right? It's maybe not the best idea always, right? It can be a starting point for something and you can move on from that starting point and inspect and adapt and change it according to your according to your needs. Because one comment here from me, uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Scrum exactly because many people take a Scrum guide as a holy Bible, right? And uh, this is one thing I, which I was missing and it should be explicitly said on the first, first line of Scrum that's saying that this is the Scrum guide and then inspect and adapt on this guide, right? They, they, they give you information that you should align your process, right? But, but, but they don't give you like a complete freedom that you can change everything. So for example, if we say that daily takes 15 minutes, why shouldn't it be 30 minutes? Maybe the 30 minutes would make sense in my context, right? So, so it, it, it makes sense. I think, I think it's about understanding the, the rationale and the objectives of the various elements of the framework. And, and if in your context, that particular approach to achieving that objective doesn't make sense, well, you come up with your alternative that, that does achieve the same objective, that does, is, is, you know, achieves, you know, so because, you know, if you take something like backlog refinement, you know, there's, there's loads of different ways to do backlog refinement. Um, uh, but the objective is to ensure that we all have a common understanding of what's needed and why it's needed. So if you can figure out a different way to achieve that objective from a traditional three amigos or from a, you know, a big, a big, a big full team refinement um, that's happening in a certain way, you know, great. You know what I mean? But it's, it's about understanding what the, what the objective, the rationale is, um, and then applying it to your context. Thank you for that, Fran. Any comments from you, Arek? Mm, I think 
I must agree with it. Well, there is there's not much more to say. Maybe just uh, emphasizing again that uh, what Adam said that you know copying is not the greatest idea. Uh, there is this huge policy of you know there is a company that works. They work in this way, and it works for them. It must work for me. You mentioned uh, Amazon that they do multiple commits per day. Actually, uh, well, not commits, releases to production. They're actually doing uh, multiple releases to production per second. Uh, however, it's not, well, for them, it's end of the road. It's not the beginning of the road. They started without any commit per day. They were committing maybe once a week, maybe once a month, right? But they went through whole journey. And uh, as you said, that you know we're copying some sort of uh, things because they work for uh, other organizations. Uh, well, we're copying the outcome, but we're not copying the 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 path, they they dream, they they journey, right? And uh, other thing that I think is worth mention that uh, you mentioned um, being, you know, going strictly by the book. I think. It would be wise to go strictly by the book uh, if we read Agile Manifesto, but actually not whole Agile Manifesto, but the other side, because the front side, the four sentences, okay, they're yeah, they're okay, in my opinion. But the true value is on the other side, on those twelve principles that people do not read. And if you would read, actually, if you well, if people would throw out those four sentences and read those 12 principles, I believe it would be in a far better place, right? Yeah, because, it wouldn't be so catchy, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe it wouldn't be so catchy, but like everything is there, right? The architecture, you've got emerging architecture, right? Yeah. Don't plan, simply try to build something and look, what do you need, right? Uh, Early and continuous release of valuable software. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, think about business. Collaborate with business. Inspect and adapt. It's everything there. But we tend to, you know, read only the headers. Right. Four sentences. Okay. Yeah. Get it. Let's go. Thank you for that, Arek. Can we discuss the role and responsibilities of a tester in Agile, please? And to add some context from my perspective. Let's focus on Scrum first, because Scrum says there are no testers, right? There are only developers. Everybody is developer. The whole team is responsible for, for delivery. And that's great. But at the same time, when we finish up in a, in a setup, usually there is this division between developers and testers because of different skills, right? Testers are very good at testing, um, asking questions and finding the, 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 path, the, the different paths and so on of analyzing. And um, developers are best on coding, right? Tester very often doesn't even know how to code, and developer very often doesn't know any techniques for testing, right? So you have these silos. And uh, in one of the setups where I worked, there was this problem that um, when at the end of the sprint, when I was a tester, I didn't have time to test all the stuff because there were like six developers and one tester in the team. And at the end of the sprint, usually just before demo, they are pushing the, pushing the stuff in test. And I didn't have time to test. So one on the one of the retrospective, I said, guys, so maybe you will help me testing 
at the end, when when because well, we are we are all responsible for deliverable. And developers told me, well, you know, uh, you are the best, you are the expert in testing, so maybe you should focus on that. We will not do it good, and so and, and stuff like that. And so, how to deal with that? And what is the role of tester in a agile setup? Because I, I would say it's not only testing the stuff at the end, right? Uh, maybe we can start with you, Fran, this time. Yeah, good question. Um... Yeah, I, I agree with what you were saying there. You know, um, I know one organization, you know, you say Scrum says developer. I, I know one organization that the manager obviously read the Scrum guide and said, on the team, you have developers. And what did they do? They fired all the testers, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happened? They had massive quality problems. What happened? They had to try and hire back the guys they lost. Obviously, some of them had already moved on. Um, and then they had to hire new testers, train them up. They had to train up their developers to do better testing. It was a massive uh, a problem they created by misinterpreting uh, <laughs> a word <laughs> in the Scrum Guide. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it actually happened. <laughs> it actually happened. Uh, and just a so, moment ago, I said something about taking to the letter, taking it as a holy book. And that's, yeah. what, that's, what, that's how you end up, right? By firing exactly. the letter. Exactly. So, you know, it's a cross-functional team. And, and as you say, people have different competencies. I might be good at doing exploratory testing and, and providing information about the product, um, whereas somebody else might be good at writing code to do something. Um, so, so I think it's about trying to get across that whole team ownership thing and that we're a bunch of people with different personalities, different tendencies, different experiences, and trying to get the team to, to collaborate together to deliver working software and and it breaks they have to break down that silo mentality of the the tester being at the end of the of the sprint in a mini waterfall you know and get the tester involved right from the start backlog refinement building equality in stories that meet the invest criteria um, because one of the problems i see is that um, people don't have valuable stories they have they have um, horizontal rather than vertical stories they've got a back-end story they've got a front-end story um, and, um, and as a result, you don't get the ability as a tester to be involved right from the start in these technical stories, as opposed to a vertical story that has a piece of functionality associated with it. Then we can all talk about it. I can start writing test cases against it. We can collaborate on it. I'm engaged from the start and the stories are small. So I can be running tests after two days on, on, a, on software that has been developed to address a small piece of functionality. And therefore, I don't have a phase of testing at the end. I've got testing totally integrated and as a result the role and responsibility of a tester is just blurred because i'm i'm totally involved with the rest of the team all the way through building the quality and doing my testing uh coaching quality engineering as as it's moving towards you know the idea of, of being involved all the way through rather than seeing the you know tester as a you know um um a role that i have at the very end of the life cycle you know so it's all those things to try and move away from that silo mentality and it's back to that single word collaboration Simple as that. Thank you for that, Fran. And that's one of the parts that I, I'm always missing, the collaboration between tester and developer during the development. Not at the end, but during the development, right? When you, he's coding, he can always take a tester, treat him a bit like a rubber docky, but, but an intelligent one, a rubber docky, when he asks questions about how you will test this, how, how this can be broken, right? What, what I didn't think about when I was thinking, because um, testers are mainly analytics, right? They, they mainly analyze stuff. That's, that's the, I would say, the, the, the whole job, the main core of, of their job, analyze, think analytically. 
Thank you for that, Fran. Uh, Arek, what's your take on, uh, on that from your perspective, right? What's the role of the of the of the QA of tester uh, in agile process? Well, uh, two things uh, that um, that I want to build on. Uh, you said testers, but actually, uh, I believe we should move through uh, more towards quality assurance, not testers, but simply quality assurance. We assure that we deliver something with quality. And that quality can be achieved uh, when we have a good user story, well-defined, and we have a common understanding, and we start to build, build it uh, together, right? And for some things, it is e uh, easier to test uh, by a tester, by someone with testing skills. Some things are easier to test uh, by using unit test, right? Some things are uh, easier to test on the very beginning, from the very end. So we got to work, simply work together. Yet again, uh, simply communicate, right? Uh, so yeah, that's one thing. And the other thing uh, about those uh, silo mentalities, uh, sometimes I, I find an organization where mm, they've got development team uh, consisting, you know, programmers, and they've got QA team consisting of uh, people who do tests, right? And there are, and those are two different teams working under different managers. Sometimes even working on different floors, working in different sprints, and then we have a development sprint. And if development sprint is done, we move it to uh, testing sprint, right? It sounds ridiculous, like, you know, uh, firing testers because we should have only developers, right? But some uh, some organization work this way. And actually, I've been thinking, like, why? Why it works like this? And I believe it's uh, it has its roots in, somewhere in history. And a couple of years ago, we were building systems uh, out of these layers. We had this user interface. We had this application logic, business logic. We had uh, some sort of persistent layer and databases and stuff. And when we think from a business perspective about um, about requirements, usually those requirements requirements are quite big. So we start to slicing them, and it is crucial how we slice the requirements. If we uh, if we slice them horizontally, then we have a problem because then we have a sprint for uh, user interface and a sprint for business logic and a sprint for database and maybe a sprint for testing. And we've got a, a scrum of uh, waterfalls, right? And we've, uh, when we slice the requirements vertically, we uh, narrow the requirement, but we, we got to go through all the layers, right? So then it is wise to have a one team, one team uh, that would consist everyone who knows uh, everything, uh, who has the skills uh, to implement such um, such requirement. So we will have someone with uh, um, user interfaces uh, abilities, someone who can code backend. We would have someone who can test, but they would have to work together, right? And then. We have this uh, one team uh, 
that can do everything, right? And then they can own this piece of software. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for that, well, Eric. I, I disagree yeah. with the, the purists who say, you know, everybody should be able to do everything in an agile team. To me, it's, it's, it's the blend and the collaboration between yeah. different competencies that allows the team to deliver on, on goals. Yeah, exactly. The team, right? Uh, but uh, if I'm a software developer, it doesn't mean I cannot test. I should test to some degree, right? To, to the to degree of my, uh, my skills, right? And everything I can uh, test, it's good, right? But then we need another person who has a bigger abilities to, to test, to, uh, who has this uh, part of the brain that is more analytical and, you know, find the things I've missed. Thank you for that, Arek. Uh, I think all of us have very similar brains, just, just we have different sets of, sets of skills. And with that, I, I, I agree. And thank you for mentioning one thing that actually, that's true that firing all QAs, uh, all testers, sorry, all testers uh, might uh, make sense. And there are some even companies that went in that direction, but they had done additional um, step on that trip. And uh, as an example of Atlassian, I'm not sure, guys, if you have heard what they have done. Um, yeah, the, the transition right now, I think, is going at this in the in the community for, to go from testers to QAs to underline that it's not only testing; it's the quality, it's assuring the quality. So then, you, because then you bring your focus from only pushing your buttons on your keyboard to test to the assuring that the requirements are okay, that the process is okay, to looking on all the aspects, right? Because you assure the quality of the quality assurance. And what Atlassian did was they went a step further and they transitioned into quality assistance. So their developers are responsible for, for testing inside the, at the end of, of every, every task and so on. But they have these quality assistance people, right, which assist them in testing. And the key role of quality assistance people is to coach and to teach developers how to think in a way that actually usually testers think, right? How to break stuff, what can go wrong, what are the other paths, not only the happy path, but what are the other paths? And a lot of developers, at least the good ones, I would say, already try to think like that during the development because they're responsible for quality of the solution. So they should be able to think about all the stuff that can go wrong, right? But having dedicated people that are helping that, I would say that that's a really good Mm, good step forward, right? Having the quality assistance next to you that can you can always ask for help. And guys, we need to wrap it up. Uh, so I have last question. Uh, it's the question from from the audience, and uh, I think we can also try to modify it a bit uh, because, as the tradition from my first midcast was, that I was always asking for great books um, uh, that uh, could be recommended, and I think it's very similar to that one. So where to get the ideas, how to implement Agile in a correct way? So I would even make it broader. Maybe you have some, some good books that you can read about uh, implementing agility in a good way. Not only Scrum Guide, we know that's, that's, the, that's the must. If you want to implement Scrum, then just read the Scrum Guide for the goodness sake. That's the best source. But, uh, but other books, other sources, training, conferences, what would you recommend um, to do to learn how to uh, adapt the Agile principles and, and inject them into your way of thinking? Because in my opinion, at least agility is not 
a particular framework. It's just a way of thinking about software development. And we can start with you, Arek. Of course, of course, because uh, there are so many places where you can find good knowledge and there are so many places where you can find uh, poor knowledge. And I, I think I will go uh, with something like uh, print out the, the other side of Visual Manifesto. Those 12 principles, read them, and after every day of work, do something uh, something like a review, right? Something like a daily review and go through each point and question the status quo of your organization. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? Are we doing that? Uh, do we have documentation? Do we have architecture? Uh, do we have uh, simple, simple, sim, simpleness of uh, solution, right? And think about it. Because this way, I think you can uh, develop, develop a habit of uh, questioning the things that you find in your organization. Thank you for that, Arek. I think it's a really a good idea, especially that I have done once something like that when I was an Agile coach in one of the organizations. We weren't reading the Agile Manifesto. We were reading the Scrum Guides together. So we paired together two, Scrum, two Agile coaches from different teams. We read the Scrum Guide one, uh, one line after another together, seriously. We, we just shared the screen and, and read it together. And we questioned ourselves, are your team, so one other coach asking another, are your team is doing that, right? And the other guy was answering, yes, we're doing that, or no, we're not doing that, and then discussing, if no, then why? Because it, maybe it makes sense not to do that, right? Maybe it makes sense to do something else in, in, instead, right? But if you're not doing that, well, we never think about doing that, maybe it's worth trying and question the status quo of, of the, that particular team. And it really worked. We really got a lot of insights from that, right? We didn't do it to, to yet again, uh, do it by the book. We did it just to question the status quo, question the way how we think and refresh our knowledge in the Scrum Guide because it's constantly changing and evolving. So I, I think it, it's, it's a good point. Fran, what you can recommend? Um... It's difficult. I, I find that the, the, the greater the variety of approaches and ways that you can uh, go about acquiring kind of knowledge and, and, and obviously experience as well, that the better, you know, the more bigger picture knowledge you can get, the more understanding you will have rather than, let's say, just focusing on a narrow specialization. So obviously you've got to be good at your job, but, you know, um, to me, the things, obviously, you can read books, you know, and, you know, there's all the Agile testing, Lisa Crispin, John Gregory, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're, they're all really good. But engaging in a community, that's really valuable because it's much more interactive. It's it's potentially more, more current. Um, and there's also a lot of grace. You can delve deeper into particular topics that you're interested in just by engaging in the conversations that are taking place on social media or whatever. I think conferences are great. I think Your Star is a brilliant conference to come to, um, but I'm biased. But, you know, lots of good conferences. And I, I, in my career, I found that the very first conference I went to was, was, was just, I was like a sponge. And I just absorbed so much information in a short space of time. And it just opened my eyes, you know what I mean? Um, really to, to learning more and wanting more. 
you know so so you know you can do training you can go on the courses i think it all helps you know but i i think engaging even within your own organization like you mentioned you know and and in building relationships with other people so it could be another tester on another team it could be you know if you're a scrum master talking to other scrum masters you know building those relationships you know which is the human aspect you know you offer to help them you ask them for help you show them your examples you ask for their examples you ask can you attend one of their meetings to say how, how did they do backlog refinement or show me some of your tests i'll show you some of mine so so again it, it's about being proactive and to me the combination of all of that is the way to to learn thank you for that yeah i was muted <laughs> Thank you for that, Fran. Uh, I was hoping for a moment that when you mentioned uh, enjoy, engaging in community and joining meetups, I, I, I was hoping that you mentioned let the, the Quora Dev Meetcast and Meetup. This is a great, great opportunity for learning. Uh, so I will say it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to be truthful, yeah, meetups like that or any other one, so not only this one, but any other meetups are, are, are great opportunities because you can see different points of view. So I I, I, I completely agree with that, right? Be all those networks, all those meetups, all those webinars, you know, it's just a, it's just a, so much information. It's, it's, a, it's a, yeah. Exactly. And Wonderful. with the Eurostar, you're not biased. I also agree that Eurostar is really great conference. I was there once as a participant and one as, as a speaker. And I say, I, I, it always brings me a lot of, I, I feel like a sponge on that conference, right? There's a lot of things that you can take in. So thank you, guys. Uh, we are spot on time. It's, it's 7.30 uh, Central European time. And uh, we can close officially the meeting. So thank you, Fran. Thank you, Arek, for joining. Thank you for, for spending, um, uh, accepting the invitation and spending this time with us, sharing your great insights from different perspectives. That was really fun having you here. And I think the, the discussion was really, really uh, fruitful. Thank you. And, and well done you for organizing this. You know, you facilitated it so well. And, and, and it's, a, it's, it's great that you're, you're enabling this information sharing with the community. Well done you. Thank you very much. Here we go.